Well, King David sees violence. And the violence does not come from somewhere else outside the kingdom, but it comes within his own family. That's absolutely true as we study 2 Samuel chapter 18 in about five minutes. Thank you for joining us. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembert. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We are going through the Bible from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. We do that in one year. This is our 33rd year and it's very exciting. Here to help us is Corey. Corey. I'm going to be taking a look at the character of Absalom today, specifically his mother's family to help understand where he's coming from in the scriptures. Ryan. Well, today I'm studying gates because in the ancient Eastern world, gates were very, very important, not just for security purposes, but also culturally. All right, very good. Look forward to that. And Janice, what are you doing? Tragedy in action or left hanging. All right, they're in 20 minutes, she's in 25. I'm in five minutes, stay here for the next half hour. Let's see what God is saying to us. Second Samuel 18, 1 through 8. And David numbered the people who were with him, and set captains of thousands and captains of hundreds over them. Then David sent out one-third of the people under the hand of Joab, one-third under the hand of Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, Joab's brother, and one-third under the hand of Ittai the Gittite. And the king said to the people, I also will surely go out with you myself. But the people answered, You shall not go out, for if we flee away, they will not care about us, nor if half of us die, they will care about us, but you are worth ten thousand of us now, for you are now more help to us in the city. Then the king said to them, Whatever seems best to you, I will do. So the king stood beside the gate, and all the people went out by hundreds and by thousands. Now the king had commanded Joab, Abishai, and Ittai, saying, Deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. And all the people heard when the king gave all the captains orders concerning Absalom. So the people went out into the field of battle against Israel. And the battle was in the woods of Ephraim. The people of Israel were overthrown there before the servants of David, and a great slaughter of twenty thousand took place there that day. For the battle there was scattered over the face of the whole countryside, and the woods devoured more people that day than the sword devoured. Second Samuel chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. Second Samuel chapter 16, 17, 18, and 19. This is really interesting as we read through the Bible today. You know, King David, he had many sons and daughters who were living in the lap of luxury and whose minds seemed to have been corrupted. David's family problems didn't just impact him because of who they were. Their problems held the people of Israel in captivity. And the account of David's son Absalom is tragic in many ways. And we can see how the actions and reactions of both David and Absalom played out poorly. In a dramatic plot of vengeance, Absalom murders his despicable half-brother 
and runs away from Jerusalem and David, knowing and accepting his fate as banished from the kingdom of Israel. Sometime later, David forgives Absalom and has him return to Israel. Now, this was too little, too late for Absalom. He puts into action a subversive and treacherous plan, plan against David's kingdom. David is forced to escape from Jerusalem. He he readies his men for battle. David commands Joab and his soldiers to deal gently with his son Absalom. But the violence found deep in the heart of David's family was coming to a deadly end. I'll tell you what, this is a really dramatic part of the story, and and we need to pay attention to it. Internal threats. Internal threats. I don't know about you, but I know that if I don't pay attention, there's a lot of things inside of me that will do damage to me. I'll tell you that right now. Take your Bible guide and turn to today's passage. It's really good. Um, And to be honest with you, it's not just David, it's us too. We can see what we've done and what we have a tendency to do by reading this passage. You can write to us or call us. Another way to get it is to go to Bible Discovery TV, click on the page, it'll tell you. It'll take you to a donate page. Thank you so much for your donations. We very much appreciate them today. And also it'll take you to a page where you can download it exactly like we printed it. It's very good. And uh, it takes you through the most important book of all. That's the Bible. That's the most important book. Read the Bible. And we'll help you do it through the Bible guide. So make sure that you do that today. Father, I pray today, as we begin to look at these internal threats inside of David's family, there are a lot of internal threats inside of me, Lord. And I know that other people as well would pray that. And I I ask, Lord, that you would show us your way and teach us your path in the name of Jesus Christ. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, help us to feel and see and understand what you've done and help us to change our ways to follow you. And we said together, amen and amen. Now, keep in mind that we're reading the Bible to change our hearts. We're not reading our ideas into it, but it's gonna change us. Let's see what God did and what God said. Here's what the scripture says in 2 Samuel 18, verse one. It says, and David numbered the people who were with him and set captains of thousands and captains of hundreds over them. Then David sent out one-third of the people under the hand of Joab, one-third under the hand of Abishai, his son, Zeruiah, Jacob's brother, Jacob's brother, and one-third under the hand of Italai, the Gittite. And the king said to the people, I also will surely go out with you myself. But the people answered, no, you shall not go out for If we flee away, they will not care about us. Nor if half of us die, will they care about us? But you are worth 10,000 of us now, for you are now more help to us in the city. This is interesting. David was preparing himself, preparing himself for this battle that's taking place. David has to see the violence of his family take full effect. God calls each of us to follow after him in his ways. Only God can make us right. Now understand that David is valued because everybody's looking at David as the king. The king's been rebelled against and yet they are saying, don't come with us because we've got to do this without you. So 
All of the sudden, the battle's taken away from him and he has to sit and wait while they have to fight the violence of this. You know, there's a lot of times in our families when we make decisions and we say, well, this has got to be my way just because I am the one in this family. And the problem is that you are the one in the family, but we're all sinners. Saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. How much of that is us and how much of that is us wanting the Lord's way? Very interesting, isn't it? Well, let's go on because 2 Samuel 18 says, Then the king said to them, Whatever seems best to you, I will do. So the king stood beside the gate and all the people went out by the hundreds and by the thousands. Now the king had commanded Joab, Abishai, and Itaiah saying, deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. And all the people heard when the kings gave all the captain's orders concerning Absalom. All right, this is important. David gave specific instructions to his commanders to deal gently with Absalom for his sake. Let's give our life to God and move forward in his ways, not in ours. I can tell you there are many times when I felt that people were doing me wrong. And so my idea was to get them back and do them wrong. The problem is that's vengeance. And I've learned how to handle that, and it's not easy. I have to let the Lord deal with it. And let me tell you something, when the Lord deals with it, it's over. God deals with it. He doesn't deal with it when you want it to be dealt with, but he deals with it over time so that people begin to understand, oh, he was right. In other words, God makes us right, and we have to be very careful to hear him. This is very important, beloved. Now let's go back to the scripture in 2 Samuel chapter 18, verse 6. So the people went out into the field of battle against Israel, and the battle was in the woods of Ephraim. And the people of Israel were overthrown there before the servants of David, and great slaughter of 20,000 took place there that day. For the battle there was scattered over the face of the whole countryside and the woods devoured more people that day than the sword devoured. Listen carefully. The circumstances of the civil war was worse than the men attacking. The circumstances of the civil war was worse than the men attacking. When we let go of God, his protection is lifted. Let me tell you something. David let go of God. He should have disciplined Amnon when he raped Tamar. He should have brought the, the word of God in and said, you, you can't do that. But he didn't. And then Absalom kills him. And then Absalom comes back 20 years later and starts this rebellion where all of this evil takes place. Beloved, it just gets worse and worse and worse. We make one bad decision here and it gets worse and worse and worse. And God can rescue us as we call on his name. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. So we need to remember, we need to start making decisions the right way instead of making the decisions our way. We don't need to do that. We need to say, Lord, what are the decisions you make? What are the leaders that you want? What are the people that I need to go? You tell me, help me, Lord, as we pray today. In the name of Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we ask this, Lord, it's very important, Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. This character of King Saul, this historical figure. Now, I think it's probably fair to say that most of us 
When we think of King Saul, we think of the bad guy foil to King David. But an entire book of the Bible is also dedicated to mostly his reign. Of course, that's 1 Samuel. So I'm really excited to jump into it today and see what we can learn about Saul. Welcome back to the program. Today our reading assignment is 2 Samuel chapter 16 through 19, and this is the very tragic account of the death of David's son Absalom. And when David hears the news about the death of his son, the Bible says that he went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And notice that detail. Where did David go? To the chamber over the gate. This detail shows that gates in ancient times weren't like gates in the modern world. In the ancient world, gates weren't just a barred fence or an afterthought. They were very elaborately designed because they were important. They served as both security for the enclosed city and as a social hub. Check it out. While the gateway generally serves in a lesser capacity today, in the ancient world, gates were a necessity. While they served as openings for sanctuaries, citadels, tombs, prisons, and the like, the most important type of gate was city's gates, as they provided the needed protection from outside invaders. Gates would remain open during the day, but at night they were shut and locked. While possessing the key to a city's gates meant privilege and power, possessing the gates themselves meant even more power. In fact, to possess the gates was to possess the city. Thus, to prevent the city from falling into enemy hands, gates had to be unbreachable. For this reason, most gates consisted of double doors plated with metal, since wooden doors without iron plating were easily set on fire. Some gates were made of brass, as was the gate called Beautiful of King Herod's Temple, which was more costly than nine others of the outer court that had been poured over with gold and silver. Still others were made of solid stone. As a matter of fact, massive stone doors have been found in some of the ancient towns of Syria. These single slabs are several inches thick and 10 feet high, and turn on pivots above and below. Ordinarily, gates swung on projections that fitted into sockets on the post and were secured with bars of wood or of metal. While earlier gates were constructed on an angle in order to prevent enemies from making a straight run at it with a battering ram, later designs consisted of a three-peered gateway. So even though the attackers could hit it straight on, the enemy forces would now have to break down three doors to gain entrance to the city. Still, even with all the security, gates were naturally the weakest points in a city's walls, which is why they were flanked by towers. Nevertheless, city gateways didn't just serve as a measure of security. As a matter of fact, it was at the gates of a city that the people of the ancient Near East went for legal business, conversation, bargaining, and news. Markets were held at the gate, and the main items sold there often gave it its name. Possible examples of this are the Sheep Gate, Fish Gate, and Horse Gate, which are referred to in the Book of Nehemiah. The gate was also the place where people met to hear an important announcement, or the reading of the law, or where the elders transacted legal business. The gate was also the king's or chief's place of audience, which is why there was often a ruler's seat there. City gates also had several rooms or chambers over the gateway where commercial, civic, or military affairs could be conducted, or even be a lodging for strangers. King David, who'd been sitting at the city gate, retreated to such a room to mourn when he learned about the tragic death of his son Absalom. So as you can see, gates were very important in the ancient world. And in today's reading, we see David retreating to one of the gate's upper chambers to weep. 
And something that I didn't have time to get into in this segment was that gateways were also used figuratively in the Bible. For example, in Matthew 16, 18, they're figurative of satanic power. Jesus says to Peter, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And in Isaiah 38, 10, they're figurative of death. It says, In the prime of my life I shall go to the gates of Sheol. In Psalm 118, 19, and 20, they represent righteousness. The psalmist declares, Open to me the gates of righteousness. And in Matthew 7, 13, they're used figuratively of salvation and also of condemnation. Jesus here says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. So this sort of language that God uses would have been particularly meaningful and powerful to those who lived in cultures where literal gates were so important. You know, it's important to remember as well that in Matthew 16, when he says that the gates of hell will not prevail against it, that's the first time the word ecclesia is used or church is used in the Bible. Mm, that's interesting. It is. And we talk about that in one of the sermons that I did called 5,000. And uh, mm. there's a reason it's called 5,000, but... <laughs> Anyway, uh, look for that. It's coming next month. But anyway, it's very, very interesting. Corey? All right. Well, we have been reading through 2 Samuel, specifically the portions that talk about the rebellion of Absalom against David. And I mean, David has a tenuous hold at best on the kingdom of Judah, the kingdom of Israel at this point in history. Not only is there a rebellion, a quite successful rebellion launching right from his own household, but after Absalom dies, there will still be a civil war that David has to put down. In fact, to the day of his death and beyond, the throne is going to be fought for. But why did Absalom launch a rebellion in the first place? Where was he from? Where was his mother from? Uh, why did he exist? Let's take a look. 2 Samuel 13 to 18 records the tragic history of Absalom, son of King David. David had gone against the law of God for kings and multiplied wives and had children with them. 2 Samuel 3 tells us that his third son Absalom was born to Makkah, the daughter of King Talmai of Geshur. This Geshurite princess gave birth to Absalom when David was embroiled in a war against the household of Saul. In other words, he didn't yet have control over all of Israel. Presumably, a marriage alliance with the Geshurites who lived in the north would strengthen his claim to power. But later in life, Absalom himself launched a rebellion against his father. It began when Absalom took justice into his own hands, resulting in his banishment. He fled back to the land of his mother and lived with his grandfather, the king of Geshur, for three years. When David invited him back to Jerusalem, Absalom began a long campaign to overthrow David. Ultimately, this would end in Absalom's own death. The Geshurites of Absalom's ancestry are mentioned in the Bible as a people that the Israelites could not defeat in their conquest of the Promised Land. Their land was east of the Sea of Galilee in today's southern Golan. In 1987, archaeological investigation began in this region with a focused effort on Geshurite sites. Several were explored and excavated, including Tel Hadar, a four-acre site strategically placed on a main trade route. The city has been dubbed a royal Geshurite stronghold and was built on a hill with two defensive walls, a lower wall built at the foot of the hill and an upper wall halfway up the slope. 
Inside the upper wall, finely crafted items were found indicating wealth, and two large stones usually associated with royal buildings. A large public building was also excavated that would have functioned as a storehouse and possibly a bazaar. The pottery excavated showed evidence of extensive trading and interaction with cultures of the area while maintaining some unique styles found only in ancient Gesher. The Gesherites were active in the land, yet culturally distinct. Though Tel Hadar was destroyed sometime in the 11th century BC, it would have been to a royal stronghold like this that Absalom traveled and lived with his grandfather Talmay. So this is a really interesting thing for us to ponder. David is not specifically called out by the scripture here for making these marriage alliances, but it's rather implied. We see the trouble that happens in David's household because of how he established his household in the beginning. We see that he married the princess of Gesher back when he did not yet have a hold of the entire territory of Israel. The Gesherites were a people group that was left in the land after the conquest. They were not driven out by the people of Israel and the Israelites were not supposed to intermarry with these people because of their religious practices. Nevertheless, David did. Now, he did not get lured into idolatry, but what did happen was this, this prince who, with with you know reason to to hate David with with what happened to his sister Tamar he goes back to his royal roots and then these these ideas of of royal uh, rights and and privileges and and being better than David more just than David were able to be fostered so we get to see through how David's family and how David's life goes the benefit of what could have happened or what should have happened if David had just said no to those marriage alliances that were against the word of God in the first place, none of this would have happened to him. But it did happen to him. It and did. He, did, he didn't think about that. So uh, that that's really important to remember God is teaching us in our lives to focus on him. Yeah. And this is where I was going as well with tragedy in action or mm. left hanging because so often, Corey and Ryan and Rod, you would agree that the times that we make decisions when we foster them on our own ideas and our own feelings without checking it with God, if we say that we're a Christian and we follow God, we need to have his word in our heart because at, we believe here, and this is why we have this ministry, that God's word is God's word. It's from mm -hmm. the heart of God written to us so that we can learn, not so that we can come to it and say, let me see what I can get and change and yeah. pick and choose what I want, but learn to grow through God. And I see such tragedy in this chapter specifically, because and I'm going to look at my notes because I know I'll forget David loved his son Absalom, even though Absalom was trying to get the kingship away from his father. And Absalom thought that that was the right thing to do. As Corey mm -hmm. has said, he thought he had the right to do that. And he had people around him that also encouraged him that he had the right to do this. Absalom and his own arrogance and the thing that he was known for was his long and luscious hair. You read about that in the scriptures that when he did get his hair cut, they they would weigh it. I mean, that was one of these beautiful things. And yet 
this is what brings him to his tragedy is his hair, his head gets stuck in a turban tree. And, and, um, here he ends up hanging and Joab, he takes it upon himself to go against the king's wishes. Everyone had heard. And the scripture mentions it several times so that the readers can hear that David's point about be gentle with my son Absalom for my sake was heard by everyone, Joab included. But Joab thought he knew better for King David and he decided to go ahead and not be gentle with Absalom for the king's sake. So he thought he knew right. The soldiers that that found Absalom hanging in the tree, they knew what King David said and didn't want to kill Absalom. So they brought the report to Joab and they didn't trust Joab that Joab wouldn't have thrown them under the bus saying, oh, well, you know, they killed your son. So there was just so much going on. Everybody had their own way of thinking and their own way of doing. And as Corey said, if they had just, David had just followed the commands of God in the beginning, none of that would have happened. David's response to the news of Absalom's death took what should have been victory and changed it to one of sorrow and embarrassment for his army. They felt badly, and Joab had to bring correction to that. My point, tragedy of the decisions we make in life. As followers of Christ, we need to know what God has said in his word. We need to know how to live and how to respond. We can't do that by our feelings only. Even the people that we put around us sometimes can be encouraging us in the wrong way if it goes against what the word of God has said. We cannot be so arrogant in our thinking that we can outthink God or that we have somehow evolved into a new era of thinking that we are so much smarter than God is and what his word has said. We need to remember that if we are true followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, then we seek after the Lord God first with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, not what we think. Not what Janice thinks or Rod or Corey and Ryan. Whatever we say, and we make mistakes too, we need to be checked on like the Bereans did. They checked the scriptures. The the verse that struck me is verse 9 in this chapter. Then Absalom met the servants of David. Absalom rode on a mule. The mule went under the thick boughs of a great terebinth tree and his head caught in the terebinth. So he was left hanging between heaven and earth. He was left hanging. What a word picture for us. We need to make a decision in our lives. Is God who he says he is? Is the word of God the word of God or not? We need to make that decision and stick with it. Commit our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you believe that he is the son of God, that he died on a cross to save us from our sins, that he rose again in the third day in the flesh, on the third day in the flesh, then you need to commit your life to follow him today and stick in his word.
You know, Bible Discovery TV is a great website where you can get a lot of material from Corey, from Ryan, from Janice, from myself. And we put that online so that you can also watch the programs. But also there are new programs there. Beyond the Call is there. So make sure you check it out at BibleDiscoveryTV.com. Today, we need to pray. And let's pray this way. Lord, help me to always move in your ways and not in mine. Help me today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.